We may not realize it, um, but on my wedding day 20 years ago, I weighed 200 pounds more than my wife, Katie. So this is a picture you can see. She hasn't changed a bit, but um, a, a friend of mine joked soon after, uh, after I lost all my weight uh, that Carrie had, Katie had uh, married me as an investment. And so, but on our wedding day, um, I weighed 305 pounds. I had a 2XL shirt. I had a 42-inch waist. And um, if you have ever struggled with weight, like I did for years, I just struggled with weight. Now, growing up, I played soccer. I was in relatively good health, just kind of a normal-looking guy. And then in college, when I stopped playing soccer, I just put on a ton of weight. Now, once I did that, I started to do what most people do. You start to get really frustrated with how you feel. You start to make changes. You know, I, I tried everything that, that people try. I tried shakes. I tried fasting. I tried making myself feel really bad about the things that I ate. Um, I tried smelling really good food and then eating vegetables. Um, you know, maybe you've done that before. You smell a cookie and then you chomp down on the celery. I tried that. Um, I, I tried all kinds of things. And there would be seasons where I would lose weight and I'd feel good and then I would just put it back on and I would feel even worse than I did before because typically when you lose weight like that, you put more on than you lost. And so then you just feel even, even worse about yourself. And then you, you have seasons where, where I, I just wanted to give up. I'd get mad at people around me. I'd get, you know, frustrated at things. You know, I would complain that life wasn't going my way because of my weight. That's why they didn't get promoted or that's why that person didn't like me. And I was just honestly miserable. And it was embarrassing too, because for me, I remember one time we were out to dinner with friends and then all of a sudden I just started sweating and it was just embarrassing. And I remember finally, I got up the courage to go to the doctor. That's a really kind of a big deal because many of us, no matter what it is in our life, we'll kind of suffer in silence a little bit. And, and for a while, I just played the victim card about this entire thing, even though it was totally my fault. Like I blamed Katie I remember one time telling her that, you know, if she would cook healthier food, I would lose weight, which is not a really good thing to say to your wife. But then, I mean, she was just right on it. She looked right at me in the eye and she said, Josh, we eat the same food. That was it. And she was right. And so I remember I went to the doctor and we, we did all my tests. You know, we, we just had Ava and, uh, you know, I was 27 years old. I was starting to think about just, you know, man, I need to be in better shape for my kids. I was... It was uncomfortable to get down on the ground. I, it was hard to get life insurance at that point. And I said to the doctor, I went in and I said, you know, I, I want to lose weight. I said, I'm miserable. And he looked at me and he said, Josh, that is a terrible goal. And I remember I looked at him and I said, but why? I, I said, look at me. You know, I said, I, I, I'm 305 pounds. I'm 27 years old. I feel like I'm 90. I said, everything on my body hurts when I wake up in the morning. I get out of breath walking upstairs. I, 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 I said, what do you mean? And he looked at me and he said something I will never forget. He said, Josh, don't make losing weight your goal. He said, make being healthy your goal. He said, figure out what you could do every single day for the rest of your life and then just do that. Now, what's interesting is what the doctor really clued me in on is something that's so easy to overlook but is incredibly important. And it's this simple truth, that our goal determines our path. Our goal determines our path. If you're taking notes, I don't want you to miss this. I want you to write this down, that our goal determines the path that we take. Another way to think about this, where we want to end up, 
The kind of person that you want to be, the kind of boss you want to be, the kind of parent that you want to be, the kind of marriage you want to have, the kind of career or finances you want to have, determines the journey that you're going to take. It'll determine the steps that you take. See, what will happen is I'll often get questions from somebody about health. I'll get questions from different people about marriage or parenting. And when they ask, you know, what I did with something or how did you handle this, one of the things I always tell them before I answer their question is simply this, that it is very, very important that you understand that the advice that I give to you comes out of the goals that I have, okay? So let's just take health, for example. If your goal in health is to just be thin, that's all your goal, you just want to be thin, you will do certain things. If your goal is to deadlift 500 pounds, you will do different things. You won't do the same things. Now, if your goal in parenting, okay, if you're a parent and your goal in parenting is to just raise kids that don't really wreck their lives, you will do certain things. If your goal in parenting is something different than that, maybe your goal in parenting is one that you want your kids to make more money than you make so that they'll take care of you. Or maybe your goal in parenting is that you just say, you know, I just want my kids to come back and be friends with me. Whatever your goal is, you will do certain things to get to that goal. Same thing with your career. Whatever career you want to get, you will take the steps of certain classes, certain courses along the way. Here's the problem. The problem is, as we look around at everybody around us, we see their finished product and we say, I want that but we're not willing to take the steps to get there. We're not willing to do the sacrifices that people made. We're not willing to do the things that people did. Or we'll take the wrong advice from people. We'll look at people and just say, hey, how did you survive this? And we don't ask, do I actually want to have their career? Do I want to have their marriage? Do I want to have their health? Do I want to have whatever they have? And so we take advice from the wrong people. Now, here's what's interesting. In, in the scripture that was read earlier, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that the people around us actually have a bigger impact on our lives than we think. Jesus knew that the things that are inside of us actually have a bigger impact on the world around us than we think. And he told us this. This is what it says in Luke chapter 6. Jesus says, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Now, this passage easily has to be one of the most obvious passages in the Bible. Right? I mean, because if you're a, a teacher or a coach or a parent, or if you have parents, you've had them say, hey, you know, whatever you put in you eventually comes out. You know, the people you hang around with, they're eventually going to have an influence on you. And if you remember back as a teenager, what did you tell your parents? No, that's not going to happen. No, my friends don't influence me like that. No, no, the, it doesn't matter who I hang out with. We, we argued that. And then what happened? You had teenagers, and they did the exact same thing that you did. And what did you do? You said the exact same thing to them your parents did. Be careful what you put in you. Why? Jesus says the things that are inside of us, our character is who we are. Now, many times when, when we make the wrong decision, we don't want to believe this. Maybe you've said something like this to somebody. That's just not who I am. Have you ever said that to somebody? 
Have you ever had someone say that to you? When they've lied to you or betrayed you and they just say, hey, I don't know what happened. That's just not who I am. And it's, it, sounds, it sounds nice to the person saying it. But the reality is, is Jesus says, no, no, no. Your actions are exactly who you are. The things you do, the things you think, your reactions and responses to people are exactly who you are. We can say, yeah, but, but I don't think that's who I am. I don't think I'm that angry person who slams doors. I don't think that I'm short with the people closest to me. I don't think that I'm dishonest. And yet Jesus says what's in our hearts, what fruit we see from people's lives is exactly who somebody is. So here's just a simple diagnostic. I just think about your heart. Do you like the things you do? Do you like the reactions that you have? Do you like the actions that you have? Are there things in your life that you think, you know what, I really wish I didn't respond like that? Are there conversations maybe this past week that you look back on and think, you know, I really wish that that had gone a different way? See, we don't want to believe the simple truth that our actions portray who we are. Now, here's what we'll do. We have no problem believing, you and I have no problem believing that the other people in our lives, that their actions show us exactly who they are. You don't have any problem believing that about your spouse. You don't have any problem believing that about your kids, your in-laws. You have no problem believing about your boss. That is exactly who he is. But for ourselves, we're a little bit, well, maybe I'm different. Jesus says, no, no, no. What's inside eventually comes out. What's in your heart eventually comes out. Now, here's kind of our tactic is our tactic is we'll think, but if I just, if I just stop doing this and start doing this, then maybe I'll change. But Jesus says, no, 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 until you get to the heart level of why you do something and where that thing comes from, change doesn't happen. See, for me, I had to get to the heart level with my health. I had to get to the heart level of what I expected food to do. See, for me, see, I know this isn't true for everybody, but for me, food was an enormous addiction in my life. It was something that I went to every single time life felt out of control. Now, here's why that's important. It's because for me, at, at the root, the thing that's underneath the thing for me is control. I love control. It's like a warm blanket at night. I love control. For you, it might be comfort. You just love your comfort. You, lo- you love just all the things around you that just make you feel comfortable. Maybe for you, it's approval. You just love when other people approve of you and just say, man, you know what? You're just amazing. Like, you do so many things. We would be lost without you. See, when people say that to me, I just don't care. I want control. And you can judge me all you want, but that's what's inside my heart. I, you know, and you have something too. You know, that's fine. And I'm judging you from up here as you judge me. But you have something in your heart too, okay? And so the thing is, is we have to find out what's underneath it. So the moment that I discerned that, as, as I just started to work through that and the Holy Spirit convicted me that, I just thought, this is the thing, control is the thing that leads to so many different problems in my life, so many different sin issues. And no matter what I did on the surface, control would come out of my heart. My desire for control came out of my heart. Just like your desire for other people's approval comes out of your heart some way, somehow. Jesus said what's in there eventually comes out. Now, here's the important thing. How does something get in your heart? 
How does something get in your heart? See, for some of us, the things that get into our heart happened in our family of origin, happened in our elementary school growing up. There were messages, teachers, coaches, parents gave to you. Things were placed in your heart when somebody looked at you and said, you can't do that. Things were placed in your heart when they just said, you know, you're just, you're not as athletic as your sibling. Things were placed in your heart when someone looked at you and said, why can't you be more like your sibling? Things were placed in your heart when those words were said to you. Things were placed in your heart when you failed and no one encouraged you to step up and try again. Something was placed in your heart in that moment. Things are placed in your heart simply because you are a broken, sinful person just like I am. Things are placed in your heart just because of that. The sin tendencies that you have, just like for me, my sin tendency is around control. Yours is something different. But there's something that's in you that's in your heart. We place things in our heart as well. We do it through things we watch. We do it through the blogs we read, the podcasts that we listen to. I remember years ago hearing Jim Rohn say one of my favorite quotes. He says, you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Now think about this. I want you to think about the five people you spend the most time with. Are they raising your average? Are they lowering your average? If you wonder, maybe you're the one lowering somebody else's average. But think about this. For years, the five people that you and I spent the most time with, we had to actually be with. See, there's a chance that one of the five people you spend the most time with, you have actually never met. Here's what I mean. There's a chance that one of your five people is a podcaster, is a blogger, is an anchor on CNN or Fox News, and you spend a lot of time with them. You, you read their emails, and some of them are crazy. You might think, yeah, I, I don't know that I spend that much time. Do you know, according to Pew Research, the average American spends 147 minutes a day just on social media. 147 minutes a day. Do you know one of the most amazing gifts that we get every week from Apple is just their screen report. Every Sunday morning, I get that. And I just look at it and I go, there's no way I spent that much time on my phone. Steve Jobs has got to be lying to me from the grave. 147 minutes just on social media. Now, depending on the podcast that you listen to, I mean, there are podcasts that are four or five hours long. You would go, yeah, but, you know, I listen at two times the speed, so it's like half of that, Josh. Like, I mean, we have all kinds of things that we, like, come up with. But the reality is you and I place a whole bunch of things in our hearts that has a huge impact on our hearts. Now, I want you to think about what you consume for a moment. And I want you to think about the, the, the one in your five people that you have never met that has a huge impact on your life. Okay, might be your favorite podcaster, Instagram influencer, mom blogger, news anchor. Do they make you happier? Like, do you feel better after watching MSNBC, Fox News? Do you feel better? Like, do you feel more encouraged? Or do you turn that off and just think, people are idiots? Let's be honest. 
Do the, do the things that you place in your heart, because many of us, the average American actually spends a chunk of that 147 minutes before they get out of bed. You don't think that has a huge impact on your day? You get out of bed going, man, right? You, I mean, that's, do the things you place in your heart, do they cause you to love your neighbor well? Do they cause you to be more like Jesus? To think well of other people? To forgive other people? Does it cause you to judge them more? See, make no mistake, the things we place in our heart have a really big impact on what comes out. A really big impact. And we think that we're sophisticated. We think we can handle it. But it gets really hard the more that you put into your heart of that for you to handle being around people that are on the other side of the aisle. I mean, there's probably been a time where you thought over these last two years, if everybody did exactly what I did with COVID, we would be done no matter where you fall on it. But is that, is, that, is that loving? Is that gracious? See, because make no mistake, when it comes to news and social media and the things we consume, their goal is not love. That doesn't sell. Anger and hate sells. So when we consume a whole bunch of that, and then we go, why am I angrier all the time? It's got to be everybody around me. No, it's what we place in our heart. And Jesus said, makes no mistake, the things we place in our heart eventually come out. Eventually you build enough of that up, it comes out. So what do we do? Look at the question that Jesus asks us then. As we're looking at questions that Jesus asks, he says in verse 46 then, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Now, you might wonder, this seems like an odd transition from what goes into your heart eventually comes out, that what, what's inside eventually comes out of your mouth. But Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? Like, why do you with your mouth say, I'm following Jesus, and then not do the things I say? See, what's important in Luke 6 is Luke 6 is, in this context, Jesus is giving what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, it takes place in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It takes place in Luke 6. And in Luke 6, Jesus is laying out, this is the vision of what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and to live in the kingdom of God where Jesus is the king. And so Jesus says, why is it that you place all these things in your hearts, say that you are, are under my lordship and kingship, and then not do what I say? Because when you're under a king, no matter what, in the first century, if a king says, do this, you do that. Otherwise, you could die. So Jesus says, why do you call me king and Lord and, and not do what I say? Because he says, I will show you someone who comes to me, hears my words and acts on them. So he says, this is what a follower of Jesus does, verse 48. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. 
But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the destruction of that house was great. So Jesus says there's, there's two guys here. There's two, there's two kinds of people. Both people built their house, and both people experienced storms. Now, the question that Jesus poses to us is, can our lives, can your faith, can my faith survive storms? See, what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't say, the per- here's the test of your faith. He doesn't say, you know, go and do all these different things. He says, can your faith survive storms? Not can your faith survive when things are well. Not can you follow after me and pray to me when things are good. And he says, there's two guys. One digs deep, lays his foundation in the rock. He says, this is the person who hears the words of God and acts on them. This is the person that opens up their Bible. This is the person that walks in the church on Sunday morning, hears something and acts on it. The second person builds their house without a foundation. And when the storm crashes against it, it collapses. I want you to, the the imagery that Jesus uses when he says the river crashed against it. See, at some point in our lives, the storms of life, the storms of faith are gonna crash against your faith. And will your house stand or will it collapse? Now, the person who digs deep, this, this is incredibly important. The person who digs deep, Jesus says, is the person who dug into the rock. This took time. Now, many of us, we don't want to follow after Jesus. And, and there are places in our lives and places in our story that we don't want to dig into the rock and see what's there. We don't want to dig down deep. We want kind of a shallow faith with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on top of our lives. But this person dug deep. This took time. The second person just threw the house up and just said, I'm done. Let's just get this finished. Let's just go as quickly as possible. This is the moment when we try to get the advice from people to get the really fast, quick fixes. This is what I did for years with my health. This is where we just say, okay, like, well, let's just take a trip and that'll fix our marriage. Let's just have a kid. That'll probably fix our marriage. I'm just going to go back to school. That'll probably fix my career. I'll just go buy this. That'll make me happy. And instead of digging deep into it. And Jesus says, each of us are one of those people. So how do you know which person you are? Jesus said, a storm. So let's just take a moment. I want you to think back to a recent storm that you walked through. It could be a health storm. A financial storm, could be a relational storm, could be at work, could be at home, could be with a, a, a child, it could be a friend at school, could be with your teacher at school. I want you to just think of a storm, something really frustrating, caused you a lot of stress, kept you up at night, maybe it made you question some things about yourself, question some things about God, question some things about the other people involved. I want, you to, I want you to think for a moment. Jesus said, the way that we know if we are building our house on the rock or building our house on the sand is how we withstand and survive the storm. You see, in a storm, in that moment, in the thing that you're thinking about, you saw what matters in your life. You learned in the storm what matters most in your life. Now, there's a chance that you were encouraged and excited about what mattered most in your life, or maybe you look back and you think, I really don't want that to matter in my life as much as it did. 
What, what did you learn about yourself in the storm? What did you learn about God in the storm looking back? Are there moments, are there conversations that you wish you could redo or undo? See, in the storm, we see what our faith is built on. In the storm, we see what our lives are built on. This is why when we see people who have incredibly deep faith and and they walk through storms and they hold tight to Jesus and we look at them and say, how do you do that? Well, they they have dug deep. They have dug deep. But then we look at people who just gave up. And it's easy. It's easy to give up. It's easy to try to build a quick house. But here's a question. Does it matter what you and I build our life on? No, I know, I know the Christian answer, the Christian cliche is, of course, Josh, it matters. But let's ask, does it matter? Let's think back to our storm. If your house was built solidly on Jesus, and you look back on that storm and say, you know what, I don't know that I was built as solidly as I want in my faith, would it have changed how you walk through the storm? I bet it would. See, Jesus says the person who builds on a solid foundation is the one who hears the words of God and acts on them. So this person, here's what the second person does. The second person reads their Bible, you know, on a Tuesday morning and goes, oh, that's really nice. Love your neighbor. It's probably not talking about John. Probably not talking about my neighbor. It's probably not talking about my boss. He's definitely not talking about my kid that's just really hard right now. He's definitely not talking about them. When Jesus says right before this, don't judge the people around you. Forgive your enemies. The person who hears the words of God and acts on them is the one who is convicted and goes, ah, you know, I've got to call that person. I've got to make things right. I've got to own what I did. The person who builds their house in the sand and and hears the words of God but doesn't act on them goes, you know what, I don't really need to forgive them. They didn't didn't apologize. So I'm, I'm waiting on them. See, the person who hears the words of God and acts on them is the one who, when conviction comes, when the Spirit says, go over and sit with that person who's all alone in the cafeteria, go and have a conversation. When that person breaks down at work, don't get really awkward and go, okay, that's sad for you. Ask them, hey, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? How can I, how can I serve you? The person who hears the words of God and doesn't act is the one who reads the Bible and goes, no. When the Spirit says, go and talk to that person, they go, I, hopefully you'll send somebody else. Now, we may not say that, but when the Spirit convicts us and says, hey, go and do that, if we don't do it in that moment, we're saying, you know what? I'm not going to listen to the words of God. And this is a convicting thing. This, this is an easy thing. And, and what is Jesus saying? In that moment, what have we just done? We've made ourselves Lord. We've said, I'll do what I want. You can't tell me what to do. I'll do what I want. So Jesus says, and all this goes back to what you place in your heart what you place in your heart. The person who hears the words of God and acts on them places the word of God in their heart and acts on it. See, most weeks, I'll be honest, most weeks I'm 
so excited about the topic I get to preach on because it's like some really felt need that like I just can't wait to talk about like worry or, you know, something like that, that, you know, some relationship thing. All this week, I just thought, this is just kind of like a truth that I really don't want to be reminded about. And I had a hard time all this week just kind of getting really excited about preaching this topic just because of that. Because there's not like, go and do these like things, you know, change this thought pattern. It's just a really simple question that Jesus has for us. Do you call me Lord and do what I say? Do you call me Lord and do what I say? Or do you call me Lord and don't? And, and so here's how I want to close. The band's going to come back up, and we're going we're gonna to sing a song called Build My Life. It's a song we've sung before. And for some of us, this is a song that maybe is going to be just a recommitment of just saying, God, I want to continue being the person that calls you Lord and does what you say. And for some of us, there's going to be maybe a little bit of a moment of confession here to say, God, I want you to be Lord and I want to do what you say. And I need to confess some places, some moments in this past week, these moments in this past month where I didn't do what you said. And that's okay. God's grace, God's grace covers that. That's the beautiful thing of grace. Is, is, is God knows. We can run to him and say, God, I, I didn't do what you said in that situation. And that's what communion, it, it's this, we remember. We remember that God saved us, that God rescued us, that God changed us, that God forgave us. So here's how I want us to close. I want to just invite you, just take a moment. That maybe for you, you need to just say, God, I, I want to be the person that says, Lord, Lord, and do what you say. Help me. Help me to do what you say. Maybe for you, it's the first time of saying, God, I want you to be Lord of my life. I've never taken the step of following you, but Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and King of my life. I don't want to run my life anymore. Maybe today is the day for you to say that for the first time. But no matter where we are, here in the room or at home, I'm sure we can all think of places where we just say, God, help me in the power of your grace to do what you say.